0: Three, two, one. Never has there been a better time to be alive in human history. If you're not feeling it, you must discover why. Join Matthew Bolton in developing and applying a framework of objective optimism toward a flourishing life of meaning, health, and happiness. Here's your host, Matthew Bolton. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Side. I'm Matthew Bolton. Today going to have fun looking back on and drawing lessons from the 1997 classic Australian comedy The Castle. Now, why is this movie relevant to the show? Well, this show's about promoting and celebrating awesome things that make our life better, and The Castle's certainly that. Art in general is that, of course, and comedy is a big part of that. And this movie is more than just a comedy as well, which is why it's become a classic across the globe. Um, It has a unique blend of subtle humor, which is jam backed into like every scene, even maybe every line, and even amidst some of the touching parts, which is another part uh, and reason for its popularity. This movie pulls at the heartstrings, it jerks tears with its love and sympathy, and it does this masterfully without kind of ruining any of the comedy. Uh, my favorite comedy of all time is Seinfeld, and they had a rule on set, no hugging, no learning, because that kind of stuff often does conflict with the comedy, but here you don't laugh at the people, you just love the people. And the comedy comes in their naivety and their purity, and there's nothing ill-natured in it as all, at all. Um, and more as to why this uh, is a good topic for our show is that the main character is an example of my view of optimism, and in particular, I think he's a supreme model of the key aspect of this framework, which is appreciation. Um, We'll look today at how Daryl Kerrigan expresses this deep appreciation for everything he has in his life, regardless of the perspective of others. And of course, as a good movie ought to, so we've got the comedy, we've got the optimism, the appreciation, and as a good movie ought to have, it also has a simple yet well-constructed story. And in this story is something I want to highlight today because there's a political theme in it that I think offers, offers a unique opportunity to lovers of freedom defenders of capitalism, defenders of individual rights. Because this, this theme appeals to everybody across the political spectrum. There's virtually no one who opposes the outcome or thinks that it should have been different. It's everyone is rooting for the same person and hates the same opposition in this movie. It's, it's there's something about it that makes it very clear who you're rooting for and it's very tough to think you're gonna take the other side. Yet, the nature of that thing that, we, that everybody hates together is mixed. And the lesson that many people, including me when I was younger, take away is misinterpreted and misguided. It's misdirected, in my view. And we can still see that kind of attitude all around us today. So today, then, we're going to unpack the nature of this evil that oppresses our protagonist in the story. And properly understood, we might see that there is something else at play. And if we don't clear this up, we will be prone to be hostile to the very thing that actually protects people like the main character and promote the thing that makes the oppression such as we see in this movie possible. So to make sure this is fun and to break up me talking the whole time and also to see clearly what we're talking about, instead of having me just describe various scenes and various lines, I'm gonna play uh, various clips throughout the show, which means there will be some spoilers and me talking about it will be, offer some bit of a spoiler But it won't really matter. I think that, you know, the outcome of a movie like this is pretty obvious, a feel-good movie like this. And also, the outcome is also well-known in a movie that's nearly 25 years old. And anyway, the movie, the fun of the movie is just experiencing the movie. It's so rich with one-liners and heartwarming scenes that every line and every frame is pretty much worth seeing. So I really think that nothing I show or say today can really spoil any of it it for you. So we're going to start. Um, with a uh, scene that's also the opening of the movie itself. And then I've added a couple extra clips to go with it because this will set the tone for the comedy and also for our sympathy for the main characters, the Kerrigan family. So here we go.
1: My name is Dale Kerrigan, and this is my story. Our family lives at 3 Highview Crescent, Coolaroo. Dad bought this place 15 years ago for a steal. As a real estate agent said, location, 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 and we're right next door to the airport. It will be very convenient if we ever have to fly one day. Dad still can't work out how he got it so cheap. It's worth almost as much today as when we bought it. Our crescent was going to be the heart of a major housing development, but it never got up. They reckon the planes put people off, them and the power lines. Not Dad. He reckons power lines are a reminder of man's ability to generate electricity. He's always saying great things like that. That's why we love him so much. Dad is a tow truck driver, one of the best in the game. He takes great pride in his work and he comes home with so many stories. See, that the car was wrapped around the pole, so I said, why not hook the chain on the back axle? See, no one had thought of it. If Dad is the backbone, Mum is the other bones all of them. She keeps the family together. Dad adores Mum and Mum adores him. Dad could not believe his luck when he found this place. It was a bargain and he couldn't work out why. It was just a block of land with a beautiful view. It took him five years to build this place. He bought an unfinished kit home out of the trading post, built it in the backyard and towed it up here with his truck. He was the only bloke he knew with a holiday home. Not a mobile home, a holiday home. And he reckoned we were the luckiest family in the world. Dale, I reckon we're the luckiest family in the world. Yeah. He loved the serenity of the place. How's the serenity? I think he also just loved the word. So much serenity. Let's get to bed. Tomorrow is going to be a great day. Yeah.
0: So you can see how much love there is within the family. And you can also see that... In Daryl Kerrigan himself, the patriarch of the family, you can see his love and optimism. He looks at everything he has with great appreciation, and he sees only the good in everything he has. He adores his wife, you can see. He You don't see it in this clip, but throughout the movie you'll see he adores his kids. Uh, he believes he's among the richest people in the world. He says, I reckon we're the luckiest family in the world. He's, he's lucky. Um, now, anyone else could look and make the opposite case, right? There's something you won't learn in this show, but, uh, or in any of the clips I show, but I'll tell you that his son is in jail, his oldest son's in jail. Um, they're a blue collar family, and you might, you know, you can, throughout that they're not overly bright. Um, he's got a tow truck company, which is not a spectacular job. Uh, their home is not what many would consider beautiful. Their summer cottage at Bonnie Doom, that he loves so much, is very modest, etc. But try to tell Daryl Kerrigan that. He just, he really wouldn't understand what you're talking about. He just thinks, what? This is like, I'm the richest guy in the world in all ways. He's just so purely optimistic and full of appreciation for everything. Now, let me just uh, play one more clip just to give you another example of the humor. There's a million one-liners I could have chosen. There's nothing particularly special about this one. Um, But at the same time, this clip will also give us one more extra glimpse into Daryl Kerrigan's optimism and appreciation.
1: If there's one thing Dad loved more than Serenity, it was an outboard motor on full throttle. Mr. Act, singing like a bird. He just loved what and he reckoned the faster you went, the more you saw of it. Look at that. What? Back there. The lake had trout. Cat was not a good eating fish, but it was good catching. They could grow to quite a size. Dad reckoned that fishing was ten percent brains and ninety-five percent muscle, and the rest was just good luck.
0: So you can see his joy and everything he has, pride in everything he has. He's got this loud, horrible motor, and he says back to his son, singing like a bird. <laughs> you know, it's just um, you know, and then he's got that funny line about fishing. And as I mentioned, there are a million such one-liners, which is why people just quote this thing all over the world. Now, we're going to get to the key conflict of the movie now, and this next set of clips present the issue quite clearly, so let's get a look at that.
1: Compulsorily acquired? You know what this means, don't you? They're acquiring it compulsorily. It must be a mistake. They're going to take our place, and we don't get a say in it. Well, how can they do that? I don't know, 70,000 bucks? Who the hell is AirLink? Mr.
2: Kerrigan, Daryl, this is a compulsory acquisition. Yeah. Mr. Kerrigan, the airport is expanding. They're setting up one of the largest freight handling facilities in the Southern Hemisphere, and they need a great deal of space. Yeah. And your house is on that space.
1: Yeah. Yeah, my house.
2: That's right. Your house. And that's why you'll be duly compensated.
1: (laughs) No, no, you've missed the point. I'm not interested in compensation. I don't want to go.
2: All right, Mr. Kerrigan, I'll state this simply. There is an ironclad agreement between federal, state and local governments and the airport's commission.
1: Yeah? Well, where's the agreement with Darrell Kerrigan, Three Highview Crescent, Koolaroo? Where's that agreement?
2: Daryl, it's over my head. It's over your head too. Over my head? Damn it. Daryl, have you heard of the Barlow Group? No. It's basically a big investment company controlled by three blokes worth about a half a billion each. Well, the Barlow Group is Airlink. I thought Airlink was the government. It's a government authority, but all the money's coming from Barlow. It's a way of privatizing without privatising. Anyway, it's a big, big thing every level of government, huge investment. So we
1: fight them. They're gonna get their way. And you know why people like that get their way? Because people like us don't stand up to them. Now they've
0: still got to play by the rules. They're, they write the rules. And here is the crux of it all. Observe that it's an ironclad agreement among federal, state, and local governments and the airport's commission. Now we've got the Barlow Group, this is what Dennis DeNudo talks about, his, his solicitor. Uh, We've got the Barlow Group, and he says, this is a big investment company controlled by three blokes worth about half a billion each, and the Barlow Group is AirLink. Now, Daryl's confused about this, because he's like, I thought the AirLink was the government, and Dennis is like, yeah, it's a government authority, but the money comes from Barlow. It's a way of privatizing without privatizing every level of government. So it's a little confusing, but just remember all of of those words as we go along. And then Daryl's like, yeah, but you know, we, we can stand up to them. They've got to play by the rules." And then Dennis says, Daryl, they write the rules. Now this actually isn't in the clip, but he actually adds, he says, Daryl, they write the rules. They own the game. They're going to get their way. And and we're going to examine the nature of this game in a second. But first I, I want to tell you about Daryl's view. Daryl's kind of, you might call it a naive view. It's simplistic, but it is just righteous and right. He understands the game being about individuals and their rights. He repeats to the lady, he's like, "Yeah." my house. And he says, where's the agreement with Daryl Kerrigan, three high view Crescent. He's not interested in compensation. He doesn't want to go. And it's as simple as that to him. And I know people will be like, but that's so simplistic. And it's so idealistic. People have said this to me in the past, uh, you know, I tell them about if you have a principle of individual rights, you can, you can understand things. You can think clearly about things Well yeah, it's, That's so naive, Matthew. It's so simplistic and idealistic. Idealistic, I find very curious that people think it's an ideal but yet don't want to defend it. And you know, the real world is just a lot more complicated than that. But I'm saying it really doesn't have to be more complicated than that. This is the power of principles. Now, back to this, right? You know, they write the rules, they own the game. Who writes the rules and who owns the game? Now, the common answer taken from this situation, still today, many people would say, well, it's people with money, it's the rich. The rich just write the rules, make up their own rules. You know, you know, write the whole game. The rich own the game; they own everybody. But I want to ask a question about the power of money as such. What would the Barlow Group have to do to complete their project in a free market, where all transactions are voluntary and none of them are compulsory? They'd have to offer more money. At some point, it might be worth it to Daryl, so he's like, to move his family. Like they offer seventy thousand in the movie you don't, uh, that you won't get to see today, but they they actually. Uh, offer him 25000 more. And they said, oh, we made a mistake in the evaluation and it's actually worth 95000 So what about that? And he's like, I'm just not interested. So they would have to go a million, a couple million, three million. Maybe at some point he might go, oh, I guess it is worth it to move my family for that. And they would have to do that with every other person on the block or in the place in the community where they were trying to do this. To the And each would have to make their own decision about what they would be willing to sell for. And if they can't get it done by everybody's agreement, then it doesn't get done. If, you know, and if it's too much for them and they think, well, what people want for it, well, it's not gonna move. It's not worth that much to them. But with the government force on our side, we don't have to worry. We can just argue, "Well, it's for the public good. It's a, you know, it's a, it's an important project for society." And observe that the woman does that. She kind of she says to Daryl, um, "It's set to be one of the largest freight operations in the southern hemisphere," and she's implying that your house is not important in the face of such a thing that's great for the whole economy. It's great for Australia and Australians, etc. And I say, if it's that great, why don't you, if it's, if it's that great, it shouldn't be justified with more dollars you can justify with your dollars. And this is a hint. This is why money really talks and tells us what people really value. If it's such a good idea, enough people will voluntarily get behind it. You don't need to force them, but instead, Daryl Kerrigan must face the force of government. It's a compulsory acquisition. Money cannot compel by threat of injury. It can only persuade through the power of positive reward. And in the case where it can buy the power to compel, such as we see a lot in guess, a situation like this, it's not the money as such that is the problem, but that such power and force may be bought. This is the stark principle difference between capitalism and cronyism, between free markets and mixed economies, such as we have in most wealthy countries today, like where I live in Korea, Canada, USA. These are all mixed economies. None of these are capitalist and don't be confused. The term crony capitalism is a contradiction in terms. Cronyism is a feature of statism, it is not a feature of capitalism. So what must be removed in this scenario? Not the money, not the Barlow Group, but the government power to violate the rights of individuals like Daryl Kerrigan. And this is what it means, and this is why it was so genius of the Founding Fathers of America to define limited government. So government is limited to the protection of individual rights, individuals like Kerrigan, and they are not permitted any function that violates rights, violates individual rights. And this issue in the United States is called eminent domain, and it states that the government may acquire property compulsorily if they offer just compensation, and that's the clause they have. The clause in the Australian one that you see in the movie, the Australian Constitution, is on just terms. So we'll see that. Now, we've already seen Dennis DeNudo is Daryl's solicitor, and he's a guy who does kind of small legal stuff. You saw in the first clip that his office is above a one-hour photo, and it's kind of a joke showing how small he was, and it is true, he's, he's certainly out of his league, you can see. Um, but Daryl, in his ignorance, thinks, you know, this is the law, this is a legal issue, he's a lawyer, let's bring out the big guns. Well this next thing we're going to see how Dennis Denudo himself handles the case, um, and then I'll comment on it in a second. Here we go.
2: What section of the Constitution has been breached? Section what section there is no one section it's just the vibe of the thing it's all part of it this is what I'm getting at that's my point it's it's the vibe of it again it, 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 it's just the vibe of it in summing up it's the Constitution it's Marbo it's justice. It's law, it's the vibe, and, uh, no, that's it, it's the vibe. I risk my case. That was sensational.
0: Now, first thing before we go on about the main point, I want to point out another instance of Daryl Kerrigan's optimism, and also of the marvellous humour that's throughout the movie. After he does that whole horrible defence, Daryl leans over and is like, that was sensational, you heard him say. Uh, Anyway, it's too much. But um, as to the bigger point, let's go on. There's a theme which has been popular across the ages of humanity, of victory against great odds. This is the David versus Goliath story. And because it has been often expressed in terms of a small good versus some colossal evil, we've generally come to mistakenly view the big, regardless of the nature of the bigness, with contempt. We've kind of conflated big and strong with oppressive and evil. So somebody who's big and strong, though, they must be an oppressor. And you add the envy that's injected into the culture, and we've come to view strength and bigness with with a sneer, ultimately with fear and hatred. Now with this, many of us have been brought up to sympathize and identify with the little guy, regardless of the respective natures of the little guy or the big guy. And this is expressed sometimes. It's how we come to hate sometimes sports figures. I'll use Sidney Crosby as an example because he's a uh, hockey player that I love. And there's really nothing much to hate about Sidney Crosby. He's a very polite, modest guy who just happens to be the best hockey player in the world, arguably. Certainly was for a long spell. Anyway, that's another debate. But he's certainly been one of the best players of all time in his career. And he didn't just get it by, you know doing, you know, just having raw talent. This guy works for it. He works harder than anybody. So in everything, he's just a guy that you can admire and respect. Yet people hate him. And then they make up rationalizations for why they hate him. They'll say, oh, he's a whiner, he's a diver. And to the extent he does get emotional, upset about some things, yeah, you can make that that kind of case in in a way. But it's really on the whole, there's nothing to hate about the guy. But people do. They want to tear down people. Sports dynasties that are successful, people just hate them. Like, I just want those guys to lose. You know, they don't know anything about it, but they just want them want to bring them down. It's like some people hate them almost on principle, they hate the big guy and the strong guy. And I join in the sympathy when it's what I view as an, a little innocent facing a giant tyranny. But when it's a sniveling whiner like trying to take down a clean and honest and strong person like the Sidney Crosby, as I say, I'm indignant towards this former. Now in this movie, you can't help but sympathize with Daryl Kerrigan. Not just because he's the little guy, but because he's so obviously innocent and good. Of course, then, the Barlow Group must be bad. And we know that they're a giant business corporation, so this is another example enforcing the idea that business is bad by nature, that it succeeds of taking advantage of good and little people like Daryl Kerrigan. So we need the government, or government acting on behalf of us getting together to help to protect ourselves and protect the little guy to control and regulate this monster that's going to step on everybody. But I want to point out again, it is precisely the power to regulate by force which opens the door up to such monsters as the Barlow Group, they who would be impossible under capitalism. We saw that with money alone, they would be powerless to move the Kerrigans. Of course, again, unless they offered so much that they persuaded the Kerrigans, but they certainly couldn't force them. This Barlow group are cronies, and these kind of cronies are only made possible in the type of regulatory world that a lot of people are trying to advocate for. But observe in the movie that that it's the appeal to the better elements, the capitalist elements, the free market elements, the individual rights, that ultimately save Daryl Kerrigan's castle as he called it. The movie's called The Castle because he refers to his home as his castle. And it's the principles of sadism or a mixed economy, which make the Barlow Group possible at all. We have to, we can't run away from this. Let's look at one more clip, and, and just so we can feel the injustice, how unjust it is that they be forced to move. And you also get a bonus uh, glimpse at the, the love of the family, and it's kind of a tear-jerking type thing, what his son says to him. Um, this is after they lose the initial hearing. Uh, now, if you're listening on a podcast audio media, there will be a couple moments of silence. That's where Daryl's looking a little bit dejected. But just uh, wait through that. If you're viewing, you'll see quite plainly what's happening. Here we go.
2: Dad, you haven't let anyone down. I don't know what the opposite of letting someone down is, but you've done the opposite.
0: When are you going
2: to sign them? I don't
0: know. they got to be done by Friday.
2: I can't.
1: I can't. I just can't. Daryl, we got to go. Yeah, I know. I know we lost. I know we got to get out of this place. I know this is no longer our house, but I'll be buggered if I can sign those papers. I just cannot physically pick up the pen and sign them.
0: So if anyone doubts that we're talking about physical force here, because often we say the government is forced, but, well, you know, know, exaggerating. Well, let's ask ourselves, what would happen if Daryl Kerrigan does not physically pick up the pen and sign those papers? We cannot ignore these questions. This is not an oversimplification. This is the issue. And it makes thinking about other issues of rights much easier after we grasp this issue. So a person who offered money, again, couldn't do it. But for a positive reward, as we've said. It is only the government that may come in and say, come with me, if he doesn't sign it, and they can drag him out physically by force. Money does not have that power. It can only buy that power. But it can't buy that power if that power is not for sale, which is what a government limited to the protection of rights makes possible. This is something that everyone should be able to get behind. This is not a partisan issue. It's about rights. The castle gives us again a unique opportunity to clarify this principle and tap in on a common sentiment. Often I think that the resentment and the indignation that drives many people to snarl at the you know other others the other side as as it might might be put, is their fear of being trod on. They don't want ideas that they don't like forced upon them, or even worse, being dispossessed like the Kerrigan's were. But what they call for in defense of that, they say, oh, so we have to. You know, in, you know, impose regulations on this person so that I don't get abused. This only empowers the would-be treaders like Airlink or the Barlow Group. So more simply put, this movie is often taken as more proof that big corporations, if they're allowed to get too big, can just buy away people's rights or something. But it's only cronies that may buy rights. So, you know, people might shout at me and they go, Oh, you support capitalism, Matthew, you just... You just want to you you're on the side of the Barlow Group and you're you know oppressing Daryl Carrigan. You don't care about the little people, and I'm shouting in exasperation. No, I'm the one who cares about little people. I care about Daryl Carrigan, and you're empowering the Barlow Group by advocating for more regulation. We have to do better than just being outraged by the vibe of the thing. We're relying on emotionalism instead of reason and objectivity, which demand that we separate what's at play here. So imagine this scenario that there's some public spirited project that we all want, and I don't know who we is, that's a very curious question in itself, and then there's one dissenter who doesn't want to move it because he doesn't want to give up his property for it. Would we call out that person as being antisocial? Well, was Daryl Kerrigan being antisocial? Well, we don't, we just, well, we in that case, we saw he's a little guy and there's this big corporation who wants to knock him out, and we just emotionally feel for this guy. Now, where's our bias? Imagine another scenario where there's uh, a, You know, let's say the government wants to build a housing project. It's a very public-spirited project, and there's like a rich guy's house on the property. And he argues, well, I've worked my whole life, and I've finally achieved my vision of my dream house that I call my castle, and I'm not going to move. Well, would we defend that guy? We might say, he's holding up a social project that everyone wants, and whatever, I can hear everybody right now. Well. If we think in principle, we ought to defend that guy. It's if it's if it's not if everybody doesn't want to voluntarily do it, it we it ought not to happen. Remember, the issue is individual rights. You've got to think of the principle of freedom and rights and not the size of the person or the groups involved. I feel the same hatred and, and fight in me I, when I think of the cronies like the Barlow Group and Airlink and the government trying to crush, squelch someone like Daryl Kerrigan. It's the same thing that many people feel when they think about big corporations. But So we can share in this indignation, but we must direct it towards the proper cause, which is not the rich corporation per se. It's the government power that they may buy. So before I say my final word, I'm just gonna invite you to ask questions. You can send them to matthew.asknow at gmail.com, or you can go to the Mr. Brightside Facebook page, facebook.com slash matthewbolton.ca also if you find anything in here valuable and you think it might appeal to somebody please share it with that person in closing i say go watch this movie if you've seen it already go watch it again share it with a new generation uh, this movie is so popular with a lot of my friends and family my brother and i just quote this movie all the time as do many of my other friends and their families and extended families and my friends parents and everybody just loves this movie it's the humor in it it's the quotability of it, the humanity, the relatability, it's the naivety in it, the purity, the family, the sense of uh, community in it. These are all the aspects that have made it the classic it has become. And these are all the values that I was brought up with and shared with my friends and family. So I'm going to say to you, go and enjoy all of these values in the movie and treasure all of these things in your own life. And I'll see you guys next time. This is going straight to the pool.
1: You should use it, Dad.
0: This I am not even taking out of the wrapper. Mr. Brightside, your time out to refresh, refuel, and refocus your mind and energy toward building an optimistic framework for flourishing. Life is good. It's up to you to choose the bright side.